0: Good morning and thank you for joining us on Psychology at Work on Resource Centre. My name is Audrey Raj and with me on the show as always is Organisational Psychologist and CEO of Opsych, Hetal Doshi. Hetal, it is the final part of our five-part series on succession planning. And on this last session, uh, what are we going to cover today?
1: On this last one, we're going to talk about what would differentiate you, what would get you picked over somebody else. And what will make you lose over somebody else? So how could you win compared to somebody else? And how will you lose compared to somebody else as well? So I think it's really cool because it's evidence-based. And we're going to talk about a study that was done over a period of 10 years. Uh, So yes, everything that we talk about is definitely evidence-based. So I'm happy to share that research.
0: Okay, let's get started.
1: Awesome. So this was a study done um, over a period of 10 years. And it's called the CEO Genome um, Study so uh, in this particular study, they, they looked at almost about 17,000 C-suite executives and they were trying to find out uh, why is it that they um, were chosen compared to uh, somebody else. Mm. And um, yeah, today we're going to talk about why is it that you're going to be chosen compared to somebody else. And I really like what we talked about the last time, um, Audrey, that maybe this is not even applicable to CEOs per se. This can be applicable to anybody.
0: Yeah, at every level of their so, career, right? So
1: yeah, I think so, and I think it's a build up towards finally doing more and more of this increases your chances to get get into the highest position of a company as well.
0: Right. So yeah. let's talk about this this genome study. So seventeen thousand C suite executives were part of the study over ten years, and so what did they? What were the key findings from this study? Yes.
1: yes. So the first thing is decisiveness. All of us have to make decisions in our lives, some minor, some major. And uh, the speed at by which we make a decision becomes very, very critical. In this particular study, they found out that CEOs who were chosen were more likely, number one, to make a decision. Because sometimes we don't know how to make a decision when it's mm-hmm. very difficult. And they were 12 times more likely to make a decision and a faster decision Compared to somebody else. So, in terms of making a decision, so how quickly you make, how, whether or not you make a decision and how quickly you make a decision. So, CEOs were 12 times faster than others to make a decision, were
0: chosen as uh, CEOs. So, the speed of making the decision is what we're talking about here. Correct, correct, correct. Yes. Oh, boy, this is something I need to work on. <laughs>
1: you right. Know I mean, like for us, like what do we want to have for lunch or dinner is already
0: a big issue, but I think that's why like like CEOs like Steve Jobs, you know, like they had certain things in their life that they had already pre-planned, like what to wear, what to eat, you know, like how am I going to get to work and all that. Those were not like things that they wasted their, their time or their mental capacity on, you know, like all of those things were decided. And so when it came time to make decisions, they were quick and they were very decisive with it, right? Absolutely. So what is also very
1: interesting is that Um, they often were only 65% certain of the answer before moving forward. And the major reason why they cared more about the speed rather than the quality is because they would then become a bottleneck for the organization. And by making the decision and allowing a decision to be made fast, they also trusted that their teams will catch them in their tracks and continue to make the process or the outcome better as they go along as well. So it was not necessarily about perfection, but it was about letting everybody progress based on 65% of information. Also, according to the human brain, we have uh, different wavelengths of frequency in our human brain. So you've got gamma, which is like the crazy, crazy mode. You've got beta, which is busy, the busy mode. Uh, aha alpha which is a relaxed mode and theta theta is when you are super connected with universal understanding of everything that's going on and the answer comes to you in a very very clean fast intuitive manner Um, of course it's data driven more these days so with the data you also combine that with theta intuition or theta understanding it's almost like how parents make decisions for their kids very quickly for the best outcome for their kids And they do it, you know, I I think because they are so clear about their child, they know so much about their child, they have so much of information that if they just take a deep breath in and they are totally in tune with everything, they can kind of just proceed with that as well. So to those who are interested, I think, uh, in understanding how to make decisions faster, my recommendation is do lots of theta wave breathing, uh, which is, something else altogether like, in, in, within theta brainwave or a particular state of mind you're a lot more connected to yourself the data the sensing and what's going on as a universal perspective as well so right. uh, i think that's why some ceos are considered like kind of supernatural like, with the way that they can understand because they, they have a lot more access to information as well
0: right so what else did this 10-year uh, genome study
1: find Right. Okay. This one I love a lot. And it kind of reminds me of you when I when I think about it. This one is reliability. And I think, I mean, I really like to use you as an example over here because... Uh, That's going to be a first. <laughs> yeah. um, so CEO candidates were uh, twice more likely to be selected and 15 times more likely to succeed when they are reliable. People can just rely on them and the consistency is unbelievable. I think this goes back down to discipline and systems in place. You could be the smartest person, but if you don't have the discipline and you don't have systems in place, uh, then people feel that you're not reliable. And human beings actually are most attracted to people that they can predict. If I constantly cannot predict you, you are triggering my central nervous system. As a board member, I don't want you to be triggering my central nervous system. I want you to be making me feel confident about what I'm going to do next. And it's it's pretty much like my experience with you. Like Whenever we have to... We, we have had, you know, had a very consistent, I don't know how many, two years, three years and it's every month that we need to produce. Uh, it's always the same kind of email that I get from you, it's always the same kind of prep, it's always and I'm so used to being trained or upskilled with this system that I'm working with you and I, it just doesn't trigger my central nervous system, makes me feel like it's reliable. And I can imagine us doing this for a very, very long period of time. And we always say that, you know, organizations are not about sprinting, it's about a marathon and with marathon, a system, a pace, consistency, reliability is all very important. So this is the biggest stat that we have. It's you're 15 times more likely to succeed When you are reliable, and that comes back down to discipline. I think that's why a lot of books talk about the morning rituals and the 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 habits that you need to put in place. And um, I think animals are a lot better than human beings at doing that, because you know, Mm -hmm. morning they will know what to do, afternoon they know what to do, evening. But for us, we are like
0: Roja, whatever goes. Eat pattern, all out of place, right? So
1: animals just are super, um, you know, disciplined with regards to looking after themselves. Uh, you know, being very clear about the focus which is to get food and actually getting the job done as well so I mean yeah I was really shocked when I saw this like 15 times more likely to succeed and yeah my like um, brain is just prompting me right now to increase my level of discipline and reliability yeah.
0: I think we uh, we all need help in that area me too um, let's move on to the next one I mean like is are there yeah. any other uh, key yeah. lessons from this yeah. uh, study? Yeah. Actually,
1: you know, if I could just go back to reliability, right? Like, it just reminds me so much more of the old school leaders or even my grandparents, right? They wake up at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. They have that discipline, their morning just... And I think we're kind of losing that in our era because everything is work-life balance, flexibility, freedom. Actually, freedom is... Ultimate freedom is based out of ultimate discipline as well. So, I really think we need to go a little bit back to old school... um, Core discipline,
0: la. and for so, those who are struggling to understand how discipline equals freedom, I highly suggest. And I know, um, Hital, you would highly suggest reading uh, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss because yeah. I think that that's a good one to kind of understand where how discipline can actually give you freedom.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, it's like being disciplined and not eating nasilama equals to giving you the freedom to wear whatever you want, <laughs> right? Because you can fit into it. Yeah, um, Tim Ferriss is my definitely. Um, totally biased with uh, you know, my pure admiration of uh, the content and the solid content that he has produced based on um, qualitative research across uh, some of the top people in the world.
0: Uh, right. Yeah,
1: and then we've got two more.
0: Okay, we've got two more, but we're going to need to take a quick break for some messages. We'll come back with uh, more of those key learnings from that 10-year genome study uh, on how you can uh, better position yourself for that CEO job over others. All that and more happening on Resource Centre. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9.
1: Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
0: You are listening to Psychology at Work on Resource Centre. My name is Audrey Raj and joining me as usual is Organisational Psychologist and CEO of Osai, Hetel Doshi. Hetal, we were running through the leadership differentiators um, that meet uh, expectations to be uh, a CEO. And this, of course, is according to a 10-year CEO genome study. And you are about to give us the uh, final two uh, key learnings from this 10-year study.
1: All right. So this one kind of shocked me because the question here is that do CEOs who are successful, do they focus on culture or do they focus on results? What do they really focus on, right? Mm. I think we've always been having that debate. And I think the evidence has spoken, unfortunately or unfortunately. But CEOs who are are more successful or 75% more successful than those who didn't become CEOs or who failed as CEOs, are focused more on results two times more than their, than their average uh, counterparts.
0: So, so productivity over culture? Results over yeah. everything else. Right. Okay. Yeah. Explain, explain.
1: <laughs> I don't know how to explain this because I'm not so happy about that. But where I understand when you double click it, right? They actually save a lot of time by being very, very clear about the results that they want to want to experience. And they are not out for a popularity contest. They are just very clear that this is what we really want at the end of the day. And um, they kind of bring along others together with a plan and execute disciplined communications and influencing strategies to move in that direction. And from a psychological perspective, right, I understand why this is actually this actually makes sense uh, because. Human beings are not very clear necessarily about what each other wants out of each other. So, for example, when a husband tells, uh, or when a wife tells a husband, you know, can you get bread? And the guy gets croissant. But like, I thought you meant bread, but croissant is also bread. I, I thought you like croissant, but it wasn't what both parties wanted. Mm-hmm. So, visualization becomes a very, very critical part of imprinting on what we call the pineal gland. So, A CEO's job is to make very clear the unclarity or the invisible and to constantly begin to communicate about it as if he or she is an architect and co-building it with everybody and utilizing lots of tools to influence everybody to go there. And of course, there will be pain and of course, there'll be all of those things, but I think what they're trying to say is it's not compromised or you're not compromising well-being, but really the focus is about getting everybody to understand and be super clear about where we are going. And I think the and I think the idea behind this is that if somebody explains to you what the top of Mount or Kota Kinabalu looks like, right, like Mount KK, what, what it looks like at the top, and if they constantly tell you like, you know i think that's where we're going to be i think that's how we can go and i think these are all the steps that we're going to go there and rather than doing a popularity contest like i hope all of you love me and da, 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 da. But if they constantly build that i think energetically there is some interest and excitement and enthusiasm that naturally gets propelled uh Uh, And this kind of goes back to what is the idea that is worth sharing rather than who is the person that I want to be so that everybody loves me. Right. Yeah. I don't think this is saying that it's well-being over results. But I think what this is saying is really clarity and engagement and constant communication about what it is that we really want at the end of the day. And that, you know, kind of makes a lot of sense for me as well, because um, the big question that every person has in an argument would be, what do you really want? Mm. What do you want? What do you want? And instead of getting angry about it, I think what this is trying to say is being clear about what do you really, really want and talking about it and visualizing it. And so, yeah, again, thank God to Spice Girls, right? Like My favorite song. <laughs> I think it's it just because otherwise it's a zigzag uh, and zigzag uh, are really painful for everybody as well, because it's waste a lot of time going in circles and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay, uh, we're down to, I guess, the final um, key learning from this uh, 10-year genome study. What Mm -hmm. is it?
1: Adaptability. Um, So over here, rather than being the first at seeing the future, they are better than most to let go of the past and therefore seven times more likely to succeed.
0: So Mm -hmm. it's not
1: about adapting going forward, but about being able to let go. Mm. That's interesting. Makes so much of sense for me because uh, we were working with a particular client, and they were going towards um, obviously a bigger, bolder way of working, wherein the current setup of the team was pretty much administrative, and they had to go strategic. So um, this particular organization was all about building capability. Okay, so let's say for example, it's a organization that is about building the capability of many other organizations. But what the people in the organization were doing were doing very administrative jobs, benchmarking people's level of capabilities, blah, 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 blah. blah. But the CEO was saying, we don't want to do administrative jobs. We want to do strategic jobs, which is about building capability at scale. I don't want you to go one by one and see, oh, what's the capability of this person? What's the capability of that person? How do they compare? But I want you to begin to think about how do you create capability at scale, which means that maybe we don't care about how good you are, but we want to get many of you to be upskilled at the same time. Because, for example, this, this group is about creating a digital capability. And they're like, we have millions of people that we need to do it for. We don't need everybody to be benchmarked against the best. And we don't need everybody the best. But going forward, our organization needs everybody to be creating opportunities for everybody to be uh, um, capable at scale. So right now, we are doing about 40,000, 60,000. But we want to get it to up to 22 million because Malaysia has 22 million people. Mm. So... What happened with this team, though, was that they were not able to let go of the administrative part. They were were still holding on to, no, but if we build capability, everybody has to be like level one, level two, level three. And the CEO was like, no, you just need to let go of the idea. We don't care whether people are level one, level two, level three. We just need to get people to get interested in being capable. And later on, maybe five years from now, we can create standards all over again. Right. So the idea of letting go was something very impossible for that team. We had to go through session after session. They were like, what if, what if we let go? Like, everything's going to fall apart. There's not going to be any standardization. It's like a university that doesn't have standards. The CEO's like, when did we decide we, were CEO? we are we a are university? We are not. We're just building capability. So um, learning to let go sometimes of the past is not sometimes, according to this research, makes you seven times more likely to succeed. And its adaptability is not necessarily about going forward, but about literally letting go of the paradigm at which you were operating, the uh, judgment by which you were operating. And it could even be judgment and issues that you have with previous uh, stakeholders or previous uh, you know connections that you had as well. So just letting go of everything that is not going to help you to succeed with regards to moving forward. And that was kind of mind-blowing for me as well. Mm. Yeah, so I think it's quite existential. Like you need to go for like spiritual cleansing and like <laughs> you know, really eradicating a paradigm that you've been holding on to for a long period of time because that's all you've known anyway.
0: Now, that was a really um, interesting study. Now, Heto, uh, I remember teasing this last month. We said that we would cover the seven deadly sins of, of failure or like how you can basically strike your name off a list if you are applying as a candidate to be a CEO in a company or you have put in your application to be uh, the CEO in your own company. But, you know, how you can strike off your name by effectively Performing these um, seven deadly sins. So please, let's 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 do that one. I'm waiting to hear this. Right. So very quickly, I'm just
1: going to talk about. Earlier, we talked about like what what are things that you can do to win, but these are seven things that you should do in order not to lose, um, and that's two different. Two, two totally different things, because sometimes people who are winning are also losing at the same time because they're making two mistakes or they're doing one thing right, but they're doing one thing wrong as well. Mm. So these are the things that I think everybody should not ever. No, I think, sorry, this uh, research was done by Frankelstein Stein uh, in 2003, and they uh, interviewed many, many, many thousands of uh, CEOs to find out what made them lose their jobs as CEOs. All right. So in this particular study, uh, there are seven things I'm going to go very, very quickly. Number one, overestimating your strength and underestimating your competitors' strength. Mm -hmm. So this is called superiority bias. So please, um, or in Malaysia, we call it Shok Sandiri, like we think we're better than other people, uh, you know. And uh, yeah, just never underestimate that anybody. And um, a lot of the tech companies that are coming out these days uh, are coming up as the small players. You you see them coming out from nowhere. And suddenly they're the biggest, best players, and they've never been in the industry before as well. So never underst- never overestimate your strength, never have that superiority bias. The second thing would be to, putting, to be to be putting your personal interests, so your ego, your interests, ahead of the organization's interest yeah. At all points in time, as you speak, you speak about the organization's interest and probably less about your interests, um, or rather prioritizing it as the organization first and then yours. The third thing would be arrogance. Uh, I think there is no place for that in uh, 2022 anymore. Already, there's, there's just no there's no place there's no tolerance for arrogance in the workplace and making reckless decisions that are not calculated or evidence based. Um, the idea here is that it's not about the highest uh, income earner opinions, uh, uh, income person's opinion. I think it's called hypo highest income person's opinion, but it is about the the, the evidence before you make that decision, and it shouldn't be about arrogance or opinion. Um, The fourth thing would be eliminating people who you disagree with. Mm. Uh, Number one, not only is it childish. uh, Number two, it shows how threatened you are. Number three, anyone who's threatened, you look weak. Number four, you are missing out on opportunities of uh, curiosity. So um, when SpaceX became uh, successful with their launch, uh, it was really about non-elimination of any potential ideas And because of that learning of all different perspectives, they came up with the next best version of how to go to Mars and come back down and go back up again and commercialize the entire experience out of it as well. Uh, There were things like, for example, somebody during the meeting in SpaceX was talking about, oh, yeah, you know, all of us top engineers over here, we're figuring out how to send a rocket up. But my child's rocket, toy rocket, I can keep throwing it up and down and it never breaks. And people laughed at him and they're like, what are you talking about your child's toy? That's a totally different thing. But somebody actually said, no, 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 let's double click on that. Can you bring that toy? And it was really about double clicking what that toy looked like. And then slowly people started bringing in rockets that you could keep throwing up and down, but it didn't, uh, nothing happened to it. And they found out that there was rubber insulation and that there was some buoyancy at the bottom of it to prevent or minimize the impact on landing And these were the things that they actually utilized as part of their learning from that contribution, from that one person who didn't laugh and say, hey, 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 wait, 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 what are you talking about over there? So do not, I guess, maybe, you know, I think it's very rude as well when people say, ah, these are all common sense things. Common sense for you, but not for somebody else. And common sense when you use it rudely Uh, is a way for you to justify that you are right and you are and the other is wrong but it is a missed opportunity to say where actually are you coming from because obviously you have sensed something Mm -hmm. and that was something that there was common for you but it's not common for me so let's explore that so elimination of someone that you disagree with prevents a potential discovery and a potential missed opportunity as well
0: right um so we were on deadly sin number five Number
1: five, uh, ignoring operations while trying to manage the company's image. I think this is about keeping systems strong. So the strength of your system or the strength of your reputation is all about systems and keeping systems tightly in place. So I think some CEOs are very, some leaders are more interested in the reputation, but not so interested in the operations or the systems. And then there's a lot of backlash because things are not working well, but your reputation will precede you once your systems are strong enough. So focus on systems and your reputation will come through as well number six minimize difficult obstacles and not planning accordingly so do not mansplain or do not say that things are not difficult if it's difficult it's difficult go and think about it go and talk about it help your team out co-create and get them out of uh, the well that if they're struggling the well is deep for them it might be a shallow well for you but it's a deep well for them so co-create and pull them all out together um and lastly, number seven, um, relying on outdated strategies and tactics rather than uh, envisioning what is evidence-based uh, successful tactics as well. Um, this kind of comes back down to letting go of the past that we talked about and adapting towards evidence-based uh, potential successful strategies. And yeah, these are the seven deadly sins that um, Frankenstein, uh, cool name, huh? Frankenstein researched about in 2003 and came up with.
0: All right, Hetel, now before I let you go, this is the end of our five-part series on succession planning. Is there anything that, any advice that you can give or um, first steps um, to help us kind of package this five-part series in a nice bow and, and, you know, let everyone take what they will from it? Yeah,
1: this was really incredible working with you on this one because it required a lot of research on our side. The biggest insight that I have is that there is so much to learn about succession planning and Mm. about setting CEOs up for success and creating a healthy environment for this to be sustainable and systemized. So I would just say that um, my recommendation to anybody who's listening is If you want to do this well, take a research based and evidence based approach and actually get your research in and then take people through a journey so that it becomes something quite exciting for everybody to learn about. Um, And what is everybody's role that they can play from board members to recruitment to uh, a potential uh, leader who is helping create the next leader become visible to the potential candidate, to the people in the organization who need to adapt to the new CEO that's on board. There's so many things that are happening because you're getting your next big leader in. And if you do it well, or rather you take it as a learning journey for everybody that is based on evidence, and you talk about how scary the experience is, and you get everybody to be a little bit more empathetic about it, but also a little bit more smart. I think this has so much, like what you had said earlier, this is an opportunity for every single person to learn about because everybody has that level of leadership in their own position as well. So my recommendation would be, number one, do your research and allow this to be a research-based um, uh, program for your organization. Number two, uh, take it as a learning opportunity for all parties involved and get them to be upskilled. Uh, number three, set every system and uh, system up for success so that this can be a sustainable way of operating And my last takeaway would be that I think if you do this well, your business automatically will become profitable because uh, this has so much of learning and so much of training and so much of bonding of everybody up and everybody's already indirectly setting each other up for success. So do not take this as a separate agenda, but this is really part of how are you going to make your business become more and more profitable, but also at the same time, have a really wonderful culture And more importantly, the speed at which you can move into that direction as well. And yeah, I think... um just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity and um, it's, been, it's been such a great learning experience for me as well
0: right thank you so much Hetel now if you missed out on any part of this five part series on Succession Planning you can go look for it on the BFM website just search for Succession Planning or search for Hetel Doshi and you can find all five episodes uh, you can also find all our podcasts on the brand new BFM app that's available on the Apple App Store and on Google Play and if you'd like to get in touch with Hetal herself. Um, this is how you can do it. Thanks, Audrey. Again, uh, we always hear from our, you know, our our
1: lovely connections that we have appeared on VFM before we know it uh, because they send us messages on LinkedIn. So I'll provide my LinkedIn details, which is Hetal Doshi, H-E-T-A-L and Doshi, D-O-S-H-I. Alternatively, you can check out the cool work that we're doing on our website, which is wwwo com.
0: Thank you so much, Haithel. Once again, I've been speaking with organizational psychologist and CEO of Psych, Haithel Doshi. My name is Audrey Raj, and you have been listening to Resource Center on Enterprise, BFM 89.9.